And today we will finish Galatians chapter 4. We have actually a, a sizable portion of the text that we will look at this morning from verse 8 through the end of chapter 4 in our study through the book of Galatians together. And so I want to invite you to turn there. If you don't have a Bible, perhaps you, you just didn't grab it on the way out the door this morning, maybe even perhaps you, you don't have one, there are some blue hardback copies in the pew in front of you. In, at the back of the pew in front of you, you'll find a copy of that. The verses will be on the screen for you to follow along there, but it's always good, I feel like, just to have it in your hands and, and hold it and see it. And uh, we want to take in these words this morning as we study through this passage. And so I would encourage you to turn to Galatians chapter 4. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, we would be more than happy to provide you with one. We keep them around for that very reason. And, and so if, uh, if you don't, then feel free to use that one that's in the back of the pew in front of you this morning. And after the service this morning, if you'll just catch me, catch one of our staff, we'd be happy to provide you with a copy of Scripture that you can have and study and, and that God may use it just to continue to speak to your life. Galatians chapter 4, starting in verse 8. I want to read from verse 8 through the end of this chapter this morning, then we're going to go back and sort of systematically study our way through this text that we will first read. So Paul writes, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. And it is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one, who does not bear, break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Spirit say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, 
We are not children of a slave, but of the free woman. So this morning, as we study this passage, we're going we're gonna to see what it teaches us about knowing God and being in a relationship with God. And even in this passage, Paul is writing about these two covenants. Now, if you've been with us through our study of Galatians for weeks now, we've been talking about these covenants, the idea of the law and the promise, or the old covenant and the new covenant, if you will. The the system that the Jews were under, the system of the law, the system that required that they would follow the law, that they would follow a set of rules, if you will, a, a system of religion and the grace that we now live under because of our faith in Jesus. And Throughout the book of Galatians, Paul is comparing these two systems, the old system versus the new system, or as as he calls it here, the, the first covenant and the second covenant. And the point that Paul has been teaching all along is that we are no longer under the old covenant, so why would we go back to that covenant? Why would we go back to that system and follow its rules and follow its ways when, because of Jesus, we have been set free from it? So this morning, I want us to see several points in our study of this text. But first, we have to understand how having a relationship with God changes things for us. How because of our faith in Christ, we are no longer under the old covenant, what he refers to here as the the covenant of of the first woman, of the slave woman, he says. Of course, he's referring to the story of Moses, uh, excuse me, of Abraham, here. He's referring to the story of Abraham and he's referring to the covenant that was made with Abraham and how by faith God established this covenant that would carry Abraham, but Abraham along the way doubted God. He wrestled in having faith with God's promise to him and so it was that in, in trying to do God's work for him, which we've probably all been there at certain times, right, where we try to do God's work for him, we try to do God's job for him. We try to answer the promise that God has made in our own timing, in our own way. And, and Abraham, of course, in doing that, had a child with the slave woman, Hagar. And this child is the one that it refers to as the first covenant. He's speaking allegorically, Paul says. I'm, he, he's using this as a, a picture to remind us that, that God's covenant that we live under now is the covenant of promise and not the one of law. W- what does this mean for us? How does this How does this affect us in the way that we live today? Well, it points us to faith in Christ through having a relationship with him, a personal relationship. That's what I want us to see in the passage this morning. The first point in your notes that you can have on the back of your worship guide, you can follow along and and take notes as we go through this. And the first point is this, is that when you know God and are known by God, everything changes through this relationship. And, I, and I'm talking about a relationship with God here, of course, that is personal. Christians talk a lot about making a personal profession of faith. If you've been in the church for any time at all, particularly the evangelical church, you hear us talk about making a personal profession of faith. But hear me when I say this. I'm not just talking about a profession of faith, nor do I think that Paul is writing here simply about a profession of faith, professing faith, but he's talking about something that goes beyond, beyond what we confess, but is deeply rooted in our hearts 
through having a personal relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. So he's writing about their their testimony, right? He's writing about their their personal relationship, their personal story of faith. He says in verse 9, But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back? Why would we ever turn back to the old system, to the old way, to following the law, to following a system of rules when now by faith we we are... found in the grace of God. Now that we have this personal relationship with God, why would we turn back? It's talking about a relationship that's deeply rooted in our faith in Jesus Christ. Now, of course, that, that is made known through our profession of faith. We, we make that known to others in the world around us through professing faith in Christ. But it's more than just what we say with our mouths. It's more than just what we profess to be true with our lives or even our lifestyle. This is something that's rooted in the very heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to have a personal relationship with Almighty God. Talking about our story. And I love the way that he says this. Now that you know God, or rather are known by God. There's a difference between just knowing God and being known by God, right? A lot of people know God, they know about God, they know facts and truths and stories about God, but not everyone is known by God, meaning not everyone has that personal relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Think of it this way. Think for just a moment of someone famous. In fact, think about perhaps the most famous person you've ever, you've ever met. You, you, maybe, maybe through uh, you know, some, some circumstance through someone else that you, that you know, maybe through just a part of your past and, and just happening to be in a certain place at a certain time. But I want you to think about the most famous person that you've ever met. I was thinking about that this week, uh, thinking about, you know, famous people and trying to think, well, who, goodness, who is the most famous person that I've ever met? I don't know that I've ever really met anyone like who's famous in, in the world of entertainment necessarily. I, I've never really, I mean, other than maybe just, you know, local Oklahoma type of people, I've never been around a movie star or a famous actor or famous, you know, uh, musician or other artist of some kind. I've been around some, some sports uh, people through just, you know, involvement with organizations like FCA and other things. I've been around and, and met, spent a little bit of time with some professional athletes here or there, and, and I was thinking, you know, maybe, maybe perhaps the most famous person that I know, uh, or have ever known personally, anyway, is maybe our senator from the state of Oklahoma, James Lankford. You know, that's a pretty, that's a big deal. Uh, a senator in the United States Congress is kind of a big deal, and of course, because of James's roots in Oklahoma and Oklahoma Baptist life and ministry, I know James, and I'm thinking, I don't know, maybe, maybe for me, that's the most famous person that I know. Think about that, though. There's a real difference between knowing about famous people or knowing about a famous person and knowing someone personally, right? And a lot of us know a lot about famous people, famous sports figures even, perhaps. In fact, I saw a video clip this week about an Oklahoma celebrity of sorts in the world of sports that really made me 
actually proud to be in Oklahoma, and I saw this, this video clip of Matt Kemp, who plays for the Dodgers. Have you seen this? Matt Kemp grew up in Midwest City. He plays baseball for the Dodgers, and there was this, this video clip where uh, Matt was at a, a baseball game, and after the baseball game is over, he makes his way over just past third base, and there seated in the front row is a huge uh, L.A. fan, a huge Dodgers fan, a huge fan of Matt Kemp, Someone that was uh, someone that's fighting through some some form of you know sickness or illness. It, it was obvious that this person was pretty debilitated by the effects of their of their struggle, and, and and it didn't. The video didn't speak much to that. But Matt Kemp walks over to this person after the game, and he reaches over the rail there, and and he asks, you know, do you got a baseball? And the guy hands him a baseball, and he's asking other people in the crowd, anybody got a anybody got a pen? And somebody hands him a sharpie, and he signs the baseball and hands the baseball to this fan whose face just lights up. And then he goes on from there and he takes off his cap and he hands him his cap. And then the next thing you know, you're thinking, how cool is that? He's pulling his jersey off and he hands him his jersey. And you think, wow, that's awesome. And before you know it, he's bent over and he's untying his cleats and he's taking off his cleats and he's handing his cleats to this fan. And you think, wow, I mean, what a guy, right? And think about if you were a fan and your favorite baseball player comes over to you after the game and just starts shedding his gear and he's handing, that would, that would mean the world to you. But you know, for all of that, that's not the same as having a personal relationship with Matt Kemp, is it? It's not the same thing as really knowing him and, and, and knowing him by name and knowing his story and knowing his life. And see, what happens is there are a lot of people in the world who know about God. A lot of people have had some pretty cool moments even with God, where they've seen God do something pretty amazing and pretty special, where they've witnessed firsthand God do something like you know, like, again, to use the analogy here, like Matt Kemp doing this really cool thing for this fan. By the way, uh, I mean, what a cool thing for an Oklahoma boy to do, you know? I mean, it makes you proud to be from Oklahoma. A lot of people have had really cool moments with God, really amazing experience with God. But an amazing experience with God is not the same thing as having a personal relationship with him. Paul's talking about something more than just experiencing God's power, than seeing God move, than, than knowing about God. He's talking about having a relationship through faith in Jesus Christ with God. And that when you know God, or rather are known by God, and that's the key, he says, everything changes. Why would you go back? Why would you return to the way that you used to live? Because you are known by God. God. You know, there has to be a time in each of our lives when by faith we surrender our heart and our life to Jesus. Where rather than just knowing about God, rather than just having experienced some, some really amazing experiences, seeing the hand of God where we come to know him personally by faith. What's your testimony? What's your story of your relationship by faith with God. I'll tell you just briefly mine because this, this points us to that. I, I was a young boy. I was raised in a godly home with parents that loved me. And, and so from an early age, they had me in church and, and, and they taught me stories of faith and they gave me a great example to follow. But still, there was a moment in my life as a young boy where the truth of the gospel connected with me and where I realized that I was a sinner 
in need of a savior. And so as a six-year-old boy, a young boy, I had never really done a lot of horrible things, right? I mean, I had, I had lived a, a really innocent life to that point, innocent in the eyes of the world anyway, but guilty before God because I was a sinner, condemned by my sin. And so as a six-year-old child, I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. I placed my faith and my trust in him. And I said, God, that I want to follow you with all that I am. And, and I've continued to grow now as a 37-year-old man, right? 31 years later, by faith, I'm still following after my Savior, still striving to live every day of my life in pursuit of his will and his purpose for me. There's a story there, and there's so much more that I could tell you, right? I mean, there's so many stories of ways that I've seen God move and the things that I've seen him do in my life. There have been plenty of those incredible moments where I've just been wowed in awe at the awesomeness of God. There's been other moments where I've been humbled and broken and in need of God, but through all of it, I have a personal relationship with the God of the universe. I know him, and I'm known by him. What's your story of your relationship with God, your personal relationship? Because being known by God changes everything, changes everything. And because of my faith in Jesus, because of Your faith in Christ, if you know him and are known by him, everything changes. And Paul goes on to say that because our lives have been changed now, what this world offers us is weak and worthless compared to knowing Christ, compared to following him. What this world has to offer is weak and worthless compared to that faith that we have in Jesus once we've come to know God, to experience his power in our lives. Everything else in this world pales in comparison. One of my favorite hymns is the hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Let me read to you the story. I did some research on just the background, the story of the song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Because in in the song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, there's the line that says, And the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's what Paul is writing about here. That's the heartbeat of what Paul's saying. Why would, we, why would we turn back to the things of this world when we've known God, when we've been known by God, when we have a personal relationship with him? Why would we turn back to anything else? The things of this world go strangely dim. Helen Lemmel was born in Wardle, England, to a Wesleyan Methodist pastor and his wife on November the 4th, 1863. Twelve years later, their family migrated to America. Helen lived briefly in Mississippi before settling in the state of Wisconsin. Her singing ability soon became evident, gaining her a reputation as a brilliant singer, even studying private voice in Germany for four years. She traveled widely throughout the Midwest in the early 1900s, giving concerts in many churches. In time, she married a wealthy European and taught voice at the Moody Bible Institute and then at the Bible Institute of Los Angeles. When she became blind, listen to the irony in this, right? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. When she became blind, her husband abandoned her, which was just one of the many heartaches that Helen struggled with during midlife. 
a brilliant singer and musician, Mrs. Lemmel's remarkable literary abilities were also widely recognized. She composed more than 500 hymns and poems and also authored a very successful book for children, The Story of the Bible. She composed many musical pieces for children and she continued her musical and literary pursuits until her death just 13 days before her 98th birthday. One day in 1918, when Helen was aged 55, a missionary friend gave her a tract entitled Focused. And it contained a statement that had a profound impact on her life. Listen to this statement. So then turn your eyes upon him. Look full into his face and you will find that the things of earth will acquire a strange new dimness. I stood still, Helen recalled, and singing in my soul and spirit was the chorus. With not one conscious moment of putting word to word to make rhyme or note to note to make melody, the verses were written the same week and after the usual manner of composition, but nonetheless dictated, she, she described, by the Holy Spirit. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Helen's new hymn was published in London in 1918 in the form of a pamphlet. Four years later, it was included in a collection of 67 of Helen's songs entitled Glad Songs. This year, the year that this particular history of this song was written, at the Keswick Bible Conference in North England, it says the hymn was introduced, uh, rather that same year, excuse me, and became an immediate popular favorite. It has been since included in nearly every denomination's hymn book. Those who knew her in her late years tell of her joy and her enthusiasm. That through living, though she was living at that time later in her life on government welfare and a sparse bedroom, Whenever asked how she was doing, this would, she would say, I'm doing well in the things that count. She was always composing hymns. She had no way of writing them down, so she would call her friends at all hours and get them to record her lyrics before she forgot them. And it said that she had a small plastic keyboard beside her bed, and she would play and sing and cry. One day, God is going to bless me with a great heavenly keyboard, she'd say. I can hardly wait. I'm doing well in the things that count. Now, if that's not, if that's not a testimony of, of faith in Jesus, I don't know what is, right? I'm doing well in the things that count. The line of that song says, and the things of earth will go strangely dim. Listen, what Paul is writing about is this. It's not that knowing the thing, it's not that knowing God makes the things of life less powerful. It's not that having a personal relationship with God takes away all the hurt and the pain and the sting from life. But in reality, what it does is it helps us to see that those things never really had any real power to begin with. Because in the light of his glory and his grace, the things of this world have a strange dimness. The things that seemed once so attractive, the things that once seemed so desirable, the things that at once seemed to us like they held the keys to life itself now seem suddenly empty and less fulfilling. Or as he says here, weak and worthless why would we be enslaved to those things? But finally, we see this. 
A lot of people want to earn God's favor through a system of religion. But he calls us to himself through a personal relationship. There are a lot of people in this world who are trying to earn their way to God or work their way to God through following a system of religion, through following a set of rules. They're hoping for enlightenment. They're hoping for peace. They're hoping for that inner longing to be filled. But can I tell you, it will never be filled through the things that you do, through following a system of rules or a a, a system of religion. Because God in his infinite wisdom didn't set a way for us through following a system of religion. Because God, in his infinite wisdom, chose instead to know us personally. And so he calls us to himself through a personal relationship. If you're trying to know God's power through following a set of religious rules, and quite frankly, you're wasting your time. You're wasting your time. You're laboring in vain, as Paul writes here. And so he goes on and, he, and he, he, he writes about, why would we turn back to the old way? Why would we turn back to the old covenant? And, and there's the, the language here of the slave and the free woman, and he's using this as an allegory. He's talking about the two covenants. One is a covenant of works. One is a covenant of promise. One is based on trying to earn God's favor, trying to do the right things. The other is a promise that's freely given. And the point of what he's teaching us is that by faith in Jesus, we are no longer bound to a, a system of religion, a set of rules that in fact... We will never earn God's favor through the things we do, but rather through faith in him, through a personal relationship. Why? Because because in his grace, this is the way that God draws us and calls us to himself. God is not a taskmaster who who wants you to do a certain things, and he says, do these things, and, and I will be happy with you. Follow these rules. And you'll be free. Rather, he says, abandon all of that. Place your trust in me. Know me personally. And you will find real freedom. It comes through a personal relationship. One is a way of works. These covenants that he writes of here. One is a way of works. And the other is the way that works. See what he's saying? One is a way that's, that where we're trying to earn our, our pass through our worth. And the other says that we find our way through his worth and what he's done for us. By faith, have you trusted in Jesus? By faith, has there ever been that moment where you have entered into a personal relationship with him? not talking about what you've publicly confessed. It's important that we publicly confess it. Hear me. There has to be a moment where we publicly confess that. But I'm talking about what happens before that moment. Has there ever been that genuine moment of surrender where by faith you established a personal relationship with Almighty God? Today, if there's, if there's never been that moment, 
today, if you realize there's never been a time in your life where you've really, truly entered into a relationship with God than today, would you be ready to begin? Would you be ready to receive this new life in Jesus? Would you be ready to establish this new relationship, no longer looking to your works, but rather looking to his work on the cross? No longer trying to earn God's favor through your worth, through your goodness, but rather trusting in his worth and his good sacrifice for you. Today, would you be ready to surrender your life to him? I know, I know no plainer way to say it than this. God calls you to himself through a personal relationship by faith in Jesus. I suppose he could have established any way he wanted I suppose that God in, in his greatness and his goodness could have, could have done it any way that he chose to, but his word teaches us that the method he chose was faith in his son Jesus, entering into a personal relationship. Today, do you have this relationship with him? I want to ask if you would to bow your head and close your eyes. In just a moment, we're going to have a time of response. And in our time of response, this morning, we're going to be inviting you to respond by faith to God, that you would surrender your life to Him, that, that today, in this moment, now, you would surrender control of your life and enter into this personal relationship with Him by faith. If there's never been a moment when you've done that, then friend, would you be ready today to come and surrender your life to Jesus? Would you be ready to establish a personal relationship with Almighty God by faith in Jesus Christ? The way that you do that, of course, is through surrendering your life to Him. There's a simple prayer of faith that we would lead you through that would go something like this. God, I recognize that I'm a sinner I confess my sin before you. Lord, I, I believe that you sent your son to die on the cross to pay the way for my sin. And right now, I confess you as Lord and Savior of my life. God, would you save me by my sin? Save me from my sin, rather, by faith as I trust in you. And, and, and the wording would be something like, there's, there's nothing magical or special. There's not certain words that you've got to say just right. In fact, every time I've ever led someone in that prayer, it's a little bit different because I intentionally don't just recite it by memory because it's not about saying magic certain, right? It's, a, it's about the, the heart. It's about really entering into that relationship with him by faith. Today, if you're ready, you can start a relationship with God by faith. Don't continue on believing the lie that you can earn it or that you can get there any other way. It's only through that relationship with him that the things of this world gain a certain dimness in the light of his greatness. So when we stand to sing in just a moment, if God is leading, then you come forward and surrender your life to him. Lord God, by faith, we trust in you, we look to you. Even now, I, I pray that the things of this world would look dark 
compared to the majesty, the brilliance of your worth. May you shine your light in our hearts so that as we trust in you by faith, God, everything in this world pales in comparison. It's in your name that we pray this. Amen. As we stand to sing together this great hymn that we've even talked about this morning, if God is leading and you're ready today to surrender your life to Jesus, then would you come now? Just simply step out and walk the aisle. Doug and I will be here at the front. Come and take us by the hand and say, I'm ready to surrender my life to him. And now can be the moment when you enter into a personal relationship with God through faith in Jesus. As we sing, would you come? Oh, soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Through death into life everlasting, he passed and we follow him there. Over us sin no more hath dominion, for more than conquerors we are. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. in those words, right? That in the light of his glory and grace, the things of this world grow strangely dim. That when we really do know God and are known by him, then the things of this world lose their luster, right? They, they no longer have the, the power, the sway over us that they once did. That doesn't mean that we don't stumble and fall into sin. It doesn't mean that we don't even at times turn back to the old way and the old things because we wrestle against the flesh and the desires of the flesh. But the scripture is clear that in the light of who he is and what he's done, all of that loses its brilliance. My prayer is that through a personal relationship with God, 
that you would no longer be enslaved to your former way of living, but instead that you would know the joy and the freedom that comes and that the things of this world would, would seem strangely less desirable compared to knowing him and being known by him. You have a seat this morning and as you do that, I, I want to draw your attention to